Welcome to Hope for the Heart. I welcome you back because this is an exciting verse-by-verse study of the book of Revelation. And uh, as I have told you in the last couple of weeks, it's going to take uh, uh, quite a bit of time to get through all of this. That is the whole 22 chapters. But we're doing it uh, bit by bit, a little bit at a time. And so that we're going to work our way through the entire book looking at... uh, some very specific areas that we're, which we will slow down a lot, and then some general areas in which we'll, we'll take a, the pace a little bit faster. But today I want to continue looking at these verses, verses uh, actually verses 8 through uh, 11 in Revelation chapter 1, and I want to go ahead and give you the text of this by reading it to you so that you can follow along if you would like, or read it, uh, mark it and read it later. It's Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. The Word of God reads, I am Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, verse 9, I, John, your brother, and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Christ, was on the island called Patmos, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet, saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now, as we uh, continue looking at this, uh, you notice that uh, verse 8 is where I started, but verse 7 last week, uh, I ended there with this last part of verse 8 where it says, Even so, Amen. If you remember, I told you it was two Greek, it was two words there used, uh, one Greek word, one Hebrew word, actually. And so what he is saying is, Yes, yes. But he takes both languages and makes an affirmation. He does the same thing in Revelation chapter 22 verse 20, where he says, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Or he's actually saying you could use it in the vernacular of today's language and say, yes, do it. John is actually giving to us something that I think is interesting, and that is he he is thrilled. It's, It's his response, and it's the same kind of response perhaps we ought to have when we look at a a verse like verse 7, this, as I said last week, verse 7 is a magnificent verse uh, talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I got some comments this week about the second coming and the rapture of the church. And you remember, this is not the rapture of the church. The church has already gone by the time this actually happens. Between the rapture and the second coming, it's two different events and it is separated by the tribulation period or a period of seven years. And I hope that doesn't confuse you. I know it's confused a few. But we're looking for, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, true born-again believers, we are looking for the rapture of the church to be next. We're not waiting for the second coming because at the second coming we come back with the Lord Jesus from heaven. In other words, when you read a description of verse 7, and it says, Behold, He is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see Him. Well, those eyes will also see us, the believers who went up in the rapture. We will be coming back with Him. And I know this is an extraordinary thing to try to understand, but this is exactly what this is teaching. And so I want to give you this next section, which is verse 8. 
in which he, the Lord Jesus Christ, said, I think this is a, a thrilling to be able to, to, to look at it like this, but the last feature of this particular section, that is the introduction, verses 1 through 8, that we begun several weeks ago, is verse 8. And I'm using it now as an inter, as a conclusion to the introduction part, but as an introductory part to the next section, and so which is nine through the end of the chapter. But I'm giving you this like this because I think there is something that is in this verse eight, where God says, "I am Alpha and the Omega, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty." I think what He is giving to us here is that he is giving to us a declaration or a signature to this event called the second coming in verse 7. And also he's giving to us a signature to what is going to be coming in verses 9 through 11 that I will try to handle some today and then some next week. Um, Because the Lord is saying here, this that he is giving to us as the Alpha and the Omega, who is, who was, and who is to come, we see that the speaker is God. By the way, this is a, a, like I said, it is a signature of the second coming. It is absolutely magnificent that he puts it like this. God puts a signature on this prophecy. It's as though he's emphasizing something here by saying, when John says, yes, do it, it's as though he is saying, this is absolutely certain that this is going to happen. It seems as though he's just saying this is an affirmation based on the fact of the identity of who is actually giving it, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And But I want you to notice how he does it. This is what, what is, is so interesting to me, and I spent all week, uh, last week and this week on this, Look at verse 8. I am Alpha and the Omega. So the first thing he gives us is, remember, this is the Lord speaking. It says, I am Alpha, I am the Omega. And what he's telling us here is that he is all-knowing. The Alpha and the Omega, we we know what that is. We've heard that many times in in our uh, Christian pilgrimage. Many of you have. It's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Well, what does that mean? Well, listen, an alphabet is a, is a way to uh, store or communicate all knowledge. So how many letters in our alphabet? 26. How many words can be formed out of that? An infinite number of words out of 26 letters. It's a rather ingenious thing, an alphabet. But with the 26 letters in our alphabet arranged in the most endless or we can arrange the most endless combinations we can hold and convey all the knowledge that we can we have in, in language. Uh, there's no combination of letters outside our alphabet that makes any sense. If you throw some crazy thing up there that doesn't work with our alphabet, it isn't familiar and doesn't belong, it's nonsense to us. And I give you that to tell you this. It contains knowledge. What God is saying here is, I am Alpha the Omega. He is saying, I am the supreme sovereign alphabet in which contains all knowledge. This is what I believe he is giving to us. I am Alpha. Uh, I'm, I'm the beginning from Olive to Tau. 
I am the Omega. I'm the very the beginning of the alphabet all the way to the end of the alphabet because somebody might come along and say, well, if you say Jesus is coming, well, maybe you don't know everything. Maybe there's something that can uh, change the idea that you don't even know about. And he says, look, I am all of this. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. I contain all knowledge. There is no information. There is no knowledge. There's no truth. There's no understanding. There's no wisdom outside of what I know. This is a, a, a tremendous affirmation to, to the verse 7 that he's given to us, that he's coming back. He is basically, remember, he's signing his name on this, or as we would say it today, he's signing off on this prophecy, saying, believe it, there is a certainty here. I know what I'm talking about. I contain all knowledge because this is, is and the reason I say that is because he's giving us this looking into the future. Remember, we received this letter, uh, we received this book, and it is written some 2,000 years ago. John is receiving it looking ahead. He's looking way out there. He's receiving it in his present time, and he's looking way to the future. And so we know by where he is looking into the future would be at least 2,000 years into the future. And Jesus is saying, I am the beginning, I am the end. I know exactly what's going to happen in the future because I am the sovereign, omniscient God. What a tremendous thing. Now, this is not John saying this about Jesus. This is actually Jesus saying this about himself. And I am so reminded of this by looking at, in fact, I almost entitled this, The Sovereign Speaks. And I'm still not certain I'm not going to do that. But it reminds me of Isaiah 46.10, where we see a description here, a, a passage where he's talking about God. And he's talking about who would you, uh, in verse 5 of Isaiah 46, to whom would you liken me, asking the nation of Israel to describe uh, how they would uh, see him or, or how they would uh, liken him to the other gods. And how would you make me equal and compare me that we should be alike, talking about the false God and the true God himself. And, and he goes through this description, then verse 8, Remember this and be assured, recall it to mind, you transgressors, remember the former things long past. And here's what he says, I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, I will accomplish all my good pleasure. That would be a way you could describe what verse 8 is saying in Revelation chapter 1 to all of the Word of God. Jesus gives us the assurance and the affirmation that he is God and he knows all things, read what he says and we will have an understanding of the very end. And we can do that because it says he can declare the very end of time at the very beginning of time. And so here John is at the very beginning of the church age declaring what's going to be at the end of the church age coming directly from the sovereign voice himself, God himself. The words here are given to us by Jesus Christ. And so he signs off by giving us a look at his attributes, giving us three of them. The first attribute is his omniscience. 
He is saying, I am Alpha, the Omega. I am Alpha and the Omega. I am all knowledge, says the Lord God. But then he says this. He gives us a look at the second attribute, declaring something about himself. He points out his omnipresence. He identifies himself as the one who is, who was, and who is to come. This is really uh, an astounding statement. He doesn't say, I am the one who was there, uh, who is here, who will be over there. He just says, I was, I am, and I will be, and it is open-ended. Here, God is affirming his eternal presence. He is everywhere at all times. That's why we call him our sovereign God. He has the right to to all things. He has the right to govern. He has the right to be God because of this. But he is affirming his eternal presence. He is everywhere at all times. He always has been. He always will be. And he is. His presence is not bound. His presence is not limited by time or space. Somebody might say, well, you know, you might not know what you know because you know what you might, well, I'm not even going to try to get into that, but basically someone might say, well, you know that you don't really know everything until later in life when you can learn more, and then you know more. But this is not the case with God. God says, I know everything from the beginning. I know it even at the very, uh, I know the very ending at the very beginning. Uh, I am everywhere at all times, and so there's nothing outside of where I am. There's nothing that can happen before I'm around, and there's nothing that can happen after I leave because there's never going to be a before, and there's never going to really be an after. And so we see that he's declaring himself to be omniscient, and then he's declaring himself omnipresent by saying, I am everywhere. I am the Lord God who is, who was, and who is to come. And then he gives us a third attribute. And this one is is just as important as the other two. At the end of verse 8, look at what he says. He just says the word, the Almighty. This is God saying, the Almighty. And so what he's telling us here in this third attribute is his omnipotence. His omnipotence means he is the Almighty. Somebody's going to come along and say, well, yeah, maybe he's omniscient and he knows everything, and maybe he is everywhere, and there's nothing that can be known outside of him, but there's somebody who is more powerful than him and somebody who might can overthrow him or change his plan. And he says, if you're thinking that, then I remind you, I am the Almighty I am one of all power. It wouldn't do much good to have knowledge and be everywhere if you didn't have the power with it. And so really it takes all three of these because all the information and all the observation wouldn't mean a thing if you couldn't control what was going on. And I think that's why I look at this as so important because this is God saying to us, yeah, there is going to be my return. There is going to be a second coming. And the affirmation of that is I am in charge. I am the one in control of this. I have uh, have all knowledge to to myself. I am omnipresent. I can be anywhere, everywhere at the same time. And I have the power to back that up. And so when God says it, 
I tell you, you better just go ahead and believe it. I know when I was in, in, in the church shortly after my salvation, I know I tell people this story. We used to sing a song. Uh, R.O. Uh, Stone would sing it and lead the congregation there at that Dolphin Way Baptist Church with Jerry Vines preaching. He would say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it for me. Well, what I think this is saying here in verse 8 is God said it, that settles it. Doesn't matter whether you actually believe it or not, God said it, and that really settles it. So here we see that he is the supreme power, he has all knowledge, and yes, he is ever and everywhere present, and yes, he is absolute sovereign, complete control of every single thing. When John says he's coming, guess what? He's coming. When John says he's coming, he's saying he is coming, and how do I know he's coming? Because God told him he's coming, and who is God? He is these three things. God is going to guarantee it, and he's going to come in glory in the clouds, and the whole world is going to see him. The Jews are going to mourn and be saved. The Gentiles are going to mourn and be destroyed. And I know that is a horrible picture, but that is the horrible picture of judgment. Um, our response ought to be what his response is in verse 7. Yes, even so, yes, do it. Verse 7 is a true is truth because God guarantees it in his person of verse 8. And so that really is the signature, like I said, to all of this as far as closing out the introduction. But it's also the introduction because uh, this is what... Uh, you look at verse 5, for example, let me just give you this. Verse 5, from Jesus Christ, uh, the faithful witness, saying to him, uh, to John, this is him speaking, in other words. Uh, verse 7, behold, he is coming with the clouds. Uh, verse 7 also says, uh, verse eight, he is coming with the clouds. Then he says, even so, amen. And then verse 8, I am Alpha, the Omega, says the Lord God. You see that? Well, that says the Lord God means that Christ says it. But also, look at what verse 10 says. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a voice behind me like the sound of many trumpets. Now, there again is the same voice that verse 8 is, and it is we are going to be able to look at this, and this voice is going to be carried over into uh, verse 19. And in verse 18, really, it says, And the living one, I was dead, and behold, I am alive for forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. That tells us who this is speaking here. And that's why I was saying the voice of the Lord Jesus, or the sovereign, speaks. Uh, this is his voice. And then look at what he's going to say in verse 19. Just a little glance ahead. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen, the things which are, the things which shall take place after these things, and then he's told to write about the seven churches or letters to the seven churches, and then you get over into chapter 4, and look at what chapter 4 verse 1 says, after these things I looked, and behold a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, which we're talking about now in chapter 1, like the sound of many trumpets speaking with me, said, he's going to say something else to John in chapter 4 verse 1. And I tell you, it is just gets to be so absolutely amazing to look at this and to see what is actually happening here in the book of Revelation. So we have in verse 8 a signature 
Christ signing off on this truth of the fact of his return, but also it's a signature to the very next part. Look at the next part. Verse begins in verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Christ, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, that's an interesting section because John is identifying for uh, us himself as the writer. He says, I, John, leaving the uh, preliminaries of the very first eight verses and speaks almost here with an amazement. I, John, it's almost like you can hear the amazement in his voice, and he's mentioned himself a couple of times. Verse 1, verse 4, as John, now he adds the demonstrative personal pronoun I, as if to say almost unbelievably I, John, had this experience and was told to write this book. It's almost as if he's so uh, unworthy that it shocks him that he would have such a, a privilege and an experience such as this. He doesn't relate himself to the readers in a position of authority. He relates to the readers as a position of one just like them. <coughs> I, and he even says, I, John, your, your brother and fellow partaker, he reduces himself from any thought of elevation of his apostolic office or experience might have rendered him and brings himself down to that of just the common folk. Man, I'm just like y'all, and God spoke to me, and this is what this is the experience that I had. And He writes as if nothing more than a fellow believer. But look how He does it. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation. He gives three things here: in the tribulation, the kingdom, and the perseverance. And so these are just three different ways he's he's relating them. First place, they're in tribulation. This is the time of persecution. John, even though he is an apostle, is being persecuted. He's been he's been exiled. We'll take a look a look at that a little bit later. But second, he's relating to them as the kingdom, and he means we all as believers are part of the spiritual kingdom. He's not looking at the kingdom that's going to be presented at the end of the book of Revelation. He's talking about the kingdom of God that is now within the hearts of all believers that ties us all together because he says in Christ. In other words, I am along with you a subject of Jesus Christ. I am a member of the redeemed community over which he is Lord, over which he is king. I have a common kinship with you that I share because we are we are in Christ together. And then 30, you can identify them in the matter of perseverance because that word perseverance there means to remain under, and it speaks of endurance, perseverance, in difficult times. So John is saying to them, I'm amazed, I'm astounded, I'm shocked that you and I have a, a, a common brother and fellow partaker who knows what it is to be persecuted and to suffer, who knows what it is to be a part of the kingdom, who knows what it is to endure like, like this. And he's been given this privilege, and so look at verse 9. He's in a particular circumstance he says, they have come upon him because he's in Christ Jesus. But I want you to notice that it says this. In, in looking at this and his relating to them, it says he was on the Isle of Patmos. He says, I was on the island called Patmos because of something, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He said this same thing in verse 2 of chapter 1 of Revelation. The word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and I told you at that time there were two ways of, of saying the same thing. Basically, he is a witness. He is a personal witness of Christ 
testifying, and he is being he's been exiled on the island because of basically he's been preaching. He's been preaching what he's been receiving from God, and he's being exiled from it. Patmos is just a. Uh, most of you uh, know a little bit about Patmos because you've heard uh, many sermons probably on it. It's just a barren place, a rocky island, belonged to a group of about uh, 50 islands in the Mediterranean. Uh, it has a, uh, they call it, it has a crescent shape. Uh, it's open harbor. It faces to the east. It's about 10 miles long. And the widest point, about five to six miles. It's just, it would not be a good place to be. But the banishment to such islands was a common form of Roman punishment and it was uh if if you were if if you were there because of a of a criminal action you were banned to probably some kind of uh, uh what they would call a chain gang breaking rocks or something on the island as part of a uh, a, a, a penance uh to to the Roman government even early christian traditions as he was banished there under the leadership of Domitian uh, which was reigning in the uh, Roman Empire. Anyone who was banished lost all their civil rights, lost all their property. I'm not sure he even had any, but had he had them, he would not have them then. And remember, John's about 90-something years old. And so it's been about 60-something years since he walked with Christ on the earth. And since he's been the leader of the hated Christians and probably the last of the apostles, was he was the last one to be around, he's the longest living of the apostles, uh, by this time, he's writing, it's about 96 A.D., and his banishment has become known throughout all of Asia Minor. Patmos, uh, even today, is famous. People, you know, they have uh, tours there, and you can go there. But he was doomed to the rock of exile, and uh, this is where he is. And so it, we see John is giving us this circumstance just to tell us a little bit about what he says. But I want you to notice something about the 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 transition that we've talked about many times and uh, going from the uh, the uh, religion of the, the the Jews and the the day of the sabbath going into worship on the Lord's day here's just another little affirmation to that look at what it says in verse 10 it says i was in the spirit on the Lord's day i was in the spirit on the Lord's day i heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet now this is an interesting note that he says i was in the spirit when he is saying here is simply this: he was somehow transcended from normal human uh, apprehension. Uh, he was going on before sight, or he has gone beyond sight. He's gone beyond hearing. He's gone beyond taste, touch, smell. He is experiencing something that is not experienced by normal human senses. He says this is no merely human experience, energized by his mind, not even by his own human fantasy or imagination. He says, I was brought by my empowerment or by the empowerment of Christ through the Holy Spirit to another dimension, I guess you could say. We really don't know how this was, but he is transcended here from one place to another place. I was taken into a condition in which God could supernaturally reveal these things to me. That in itself is exciting for me to even read this. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, meaning Sunday. Here's what he's saying. He tells us this. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, not the day of the Lord. That would have meant something totally different. And the way it's translated here is it's really accurate according to the Greek text. I went to it and checked it. He's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, meaning I was in the Spirit on Sunday. 
Uh, I know there's been, a, there's, if you read much about the, this uh, information here, there's a lot of people who disagree with that and say that he was uh, it means something in the future. But really, he's describing Sunday as the day, uh, and it, it's not a final day in, in the Lord. This is actually a Sunday on that day of the island of Patmos. It's in the present tense. It was Sunday on the Isle of Patmos, and the vision came. I heard behind me a loud voice. Is really the way it reads. As simple as that. We don't have to make it anything beyond that. It was like the sound of a trumpet. Uh, whose voice is this? It's the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who it is. He will identify himself after the vision over in verse 18 that we read. I read it to you a while ago. One who was dead, who is alive and forevermore and has the keys of death in Hades, he's the one speaking. Now, it's interesting that this is uh, the sound of a trumpet, the, uh, uh, which we are told many times in the book of Revelation about this. Uh, but in, in the book of Deuteronomy, when uh, Moses was receiving the law, uh, the, 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 on, on Mount Sinai, it was told that God was up there on that mountain. And you remember there was uh, the sounds of thunder and peals of lightning. Uh, it's like the sound of uh, uh, this powerful sound. It was common in the book of Revelation. Uh, all through the book of Revelation, we are told about this loud sound or loud voice. And it indicates to us the very fact that something solemn is about to happen. Chapter 5, chapter 6, 7, 8, 10, 11, 12, 14, 16, and 19 all have this reference to a loud voice. Several times in those chapters you hear this loud voice, loud sound, then comes a solemn revelation. This is the first of those in this book, and it indicates a powerful, sovereign, commanding voice out of heaven in this case, it is the voice of the risen, glorified Jesus Christ. And what a tremendous thing it is to have this voice. The voice says, write in the book what you see and send it to the seven churches, uh, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. That tells you to whom the book of Revelation was sent. By the way, when he says write it in a book, just a little note, the word book there is an actual Greek word that refers or refers to as a scroll. And the scroll was rolled up, and this is a word that doesn't refer to the animal skin type, but biblicals, the, the Greek word here, refers to the parchment or the papyrus. Write it on papyrus and roll it up is really what it what it's saying. By the way, you will also be interested to note that 12 times in this book, John is told to write down something. 12 different times he's reminded to write this, write this, write this. And once he's told, do not write this, but he's commanded to write this down and to send it to the seven churches. And we're going to take a look at what these seven churches actually represent. But next week, we're going to begin looking at this vision because this vision is the same sovereign uh, that is speaking. Now we're going to see what this sovereign voice, who has this sovereign voice, and we're going to see a description of that. Um, uh, another interesting note there is that this is getting ready to, to go into what I think is uh, an unbelievable view of just how sovereign God actually is because this is the beginning of what is going to be looking at a time on this earth when it seems to be the most out of control, the most 
uh, powerful point in which God has lost control, but yet we're going to see from the scriptures, this is the point when God is most in control, and it's, it's just a phenomenal expression of this scene here. And so we're going to uh, close out this section where the voice actually speaks and uh, saying, write in a book what you see, and then next week we're going to see what this voice looks like as we uh, continue our verse-by-verse study of the book of Revelation. Let me encourage you, keep reading the book of Revelation. Don't give up on it. This is all still introductory material, and it's, it's going to get, uh, as one, one person said, it's going to get gooder and gooder. Uh, I know that's terrible English. It's going to get better and better. I am dedicated to this. We will finish this, and uh, I will hope to see you next week. Uh, Stay tuned and keep reading the Word of God. Thank you.